Hello. Welcome to episode number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Okay, cut that out. You know I'm not really a Beatles fan. And before I get any uh, angry hate mail from all you Beatle lovers out there, um, I don't hate the Beatles. I'm just not a huge fan, okay? Maybe we'll get into it in a future episode exactly my full uncensored thoughts, but now's not the time. Anyway, after the last couple of episodes, I've been doing a lot of sort of self-reflection, as you may guess. So that got me thinking a lot about my past. It gave me an idea for this particular episode which I am calling Storytime Part 1. Welcome to the Random Redux Review Podcast. Why Part 1, you may ask? I plan on doing multiple episodes of this, not in a row, but just sporadically, as I'm reminded of events from my life that I think you might find interesting. It's all leading to a point that I'll eventually get to, if I can hold your attention that long. But to that point, there is a catch, and that is, I'll be telling three stories. One of them is completely fabricated. I'm going to leave it up to you to decide which one. But anyway, here goes. This story begins somewhere around mid to late fall of 1980. I was living in New York City the time in Manhattan. I went to an elementary school, PS87 for those keeping track. Anyway, as is often the case in elementary school, we had different subjects during the day. We didn't go to like a separate classroom for art or anything like that. Anyway, at the time, there was a program run by the city that where they took up-and-coming artists who semi-volunteer to go into New York City schools and teach sort of the basics of art. In my particular third grade class, we had a group like that come in. They decided they were going to teach us how to make a sort of stop-motion animation film just because it incorporated a lot of different elements of art. You had to build sets and little, like, characters and things like that. There was one instructor who I got along with really well. I called him Mr. Keith. I think he took an interest in me just because I was a very precocious and weird kid. I would make allusions to like Salvador Dali and Luis Bunuel, mention the Potemkin step sequence. My mother and stepfather were really into art and my father was a former film professor. So I was exposed to a lot of things that maybe your typical eight or nine year old was not. Anyway, uh, Mr. Keith took an interest in me and would talk to the teacher about me participating in an additional project outside. It was just something he was helping out with, with a bunch of other sort of starving artist types from around New York City. It was a film being shot. So he talked to the teacher and then the teacher talked to my parents. My mother wasn't into it just because the Bowery wasn't really a good place for kids to be hanging out. Anyway, Mr. Keith, or as my parents called him, Mr. Herring, as in Keith Herring, yeah, that Keith Herring, told them about this movie being shot. He reassured them that they could supervise and be there for all that and nothing weird would be happening. So we went downtown um, and shot a scene, met a couple of, of Mr. Keith's friends, a guy named, who I thought had a really funny name, Fab Five Freddy, this other lady who was really nice to me, Deborah Harry. 
And then the star of the film, Jean-Michel, as in Jean-Michel Basquiat, the movie would later be called Downtown 81. You can totally find it on various streaming services now. Anyway, in one part of the movie, Jean-Michel is walking down the street and he comes across a group of breakdancers. And in the crowd of people watching the breakdancers do their thing, which was a pretty new thing at the time, was a little kid. That little kid was me. This film wouldn't be released until about 2000. It blew the doors off at Cannes when it was finally finished, and it has since become considered a no-wave cinema classic. Anyway, do you believe me? My third-grade art teacher was a then relatively unknown Keith Haring, and I have a bit part in a uh, in a no-wave cinema classic. So if you check out that movie, look for that scene and look for me because it totally happened despite the fact that I am not listed on IMDb as a member of the cast, not listed in Wikipedia. I'm not angry about it because I know the truth. Now the question. Do you? Okay. For story number two, we're going to jump ahead some years. I'm now 16 years old. It's springtime. Small town in Indiana, we like to call Lebanon. Spelled Lebanon, but pronounced Lebanon. Anyway, my friends and I had gotten word that another friend of ours, that his parents were gone for the weekend out of town, and he had a fairly large house, so we couldn't let him stay there all alone. The only problem is that he was really not very interested in us keeping him company. The other thing was that at the time, I was in trouble for something, something related to do with college applications or something, but it doesn't really matter. Anyway, I wasn't allowed to go out of the house, but that wasn't going to stop me. A friend was in need, whether he knew it or not. So I decided to sneak out of the house. But you see, I was a smart young lad, but perhaps not as smart as I thought. Thought I understood the ways of the world. The evening that would follow would teach me a lot. Anyway, I came up with this great idea, this great ruse for which I'd be able to escape the house and do what I wanted to do. I thought it was pretty good. It was a series of pillows and like this stuffed animal monkey thing that I had that kind of looked like the back of my head. And anyway, I had it all set up and I decided that I was good to go and so I left the house. And so I met up with my friends. We'll just call them Matt, John, and Jason. Just came up with that off the top of my head. I don't know why those names. But anyway, we went over to my friend's house. His name was Pete. Started knocking on his door. Didn't answer rang the doorbell, didn't answer. Cell phones weren't really a thing then, so we couldn't call him, but he did actually live on the back of a golf course. So we started throwing sand at his window. It did get his attention. He yelled at the window to leave him alone or was he gonna call the cops? And we were telling him just to let us in, come on. And then, so then he said, hold on. 
time passed. He still didn't let us in. But we did hear some cars pull up front. And we looked around front and we saw not one, not two, but three police cars pull up and being young, stupid teenage boys, we decided the smartest thing to do was to immediately run. So we ran. The police officers naturally took chase. It was only a matter, it seemed like seconds before you know, there are lights and walkie sounds saying things like In pursuit for young men on the run, high alert. Okay, so maybe they didn't say all that, but in the moment, it seemed pretty tense. Jason hid behind a tree. Matt ran towards this random golf cart that had been left out on the golf course. I hid behind a rock. A large rock, but it still wasn't that large. But anyway, for some reason, I thought that was a good idea. John kept running and running and running. Busted first was Jason. Two officers found him behind the tree. They got him to come out. I thought it was odd. One of the cops had a gun drawn. But he came out cooperated. Shortly after I saw a flashlight shine on me, I figured the juke was up for me as well. But off in the distance, I could see John still running and running and running. Came out from behind my rock, hands up. This time, there was only one officer there, but he did have his gun drawn and the flashlight shining in my face. And I don't know what came over me. Retrospect is pretty stupid, but I took off. One kid in custody in pursuit of three more. Two on foot, one in the golf cart. Maybe back up. I was running. I could see John off in the distance, but even closer was Matt in the golf cart. Caught up to him. He slowed down just enough for me to jump in, and I did. Pretty uh, Indiana Jones of me if I... But what was not Indiana Jones was what happened next. Matt, perhaps channeling a little Dukes of Hazard, decided that he wanted to get a little wild, and we headed towards a sand trap. And instead of flying over it, as I'm sure he imagined would happen, we just sort of stalled out and fell out of the cart. It wasn't long before the cops caught up to us. And both Matt and I saw John running, running, running away. Anyway, shortly thereafter, the three of us they had apprehended were put in the back of a police car. And I remember talking to both Jason and Matt, and we all sort of wondered what would have happened had our skin color been a little bit darker. And just remember, this is mid to late 80s, so this shit's nothing new. Anyway, the police station downtown, Lebanon, we sat and were told to wait while they called our parents to come pick us up. They would be filing charges against us. The charge? Resisting arrest. 
Still not really sure what exactly that is, but it is what it is. It was certainly not the only questions I would have about the night. But anyway, as we were sitting there in the holding area, my friends and I, uh, the holding area was more just a sort of a seating area that was up behind bars and anything. But me and my friends had kind of joked about if we'd be locked behind the bars, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and then we saw some officers escort a group of some other young men, similar age group, but with darker skin, Latino. They were arrested for being out after curfew because apparently that is a thing that gets enforced, especially if you are a quote-unquote undesirable. Anyway, after that, we kind of stopped the joking around and realized that, yes, in fact, we may have been treated very differently if our skin was darker. A short time later, uh, another one of the officers came out asked me if I was sure that the contact information I gave them to reach my parents was in fact accurate, confirmed that it was, and then he asked me why the person he spoke to on the other end of the, the line accused this officer of making a prank phone call. In short, my stepfather had thought that I was home asleep in bed, and he'd even gone so far as to check bed, saw the dummy with the monkey stuffed animal toy hair and thought it was actually me. And so he began arguing with the officer, called back with me on the line. I explained that he needed to pull the covers back and then shortly thereafter uh, he came to pick me up. So what happened to John? When we caught up with him the next day, asked him, Oh, I forgot to point out that John was Native American. He explained that he kind of knew the drill, and so he ran and ran and ran and ran and ran like nobody's business. And he got home, he eventually got home, went to bed, and nobody was the wiser. And so yeah, I got in trouble with my parents. I got grounded and some other things, couldn't watch TV, got my guitar taken away, and blah, 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 blah. Not really a huge deal, but as it turns out, there was a report in the local newspaper, the Lebanon Reporter, about the detainment. My boss at the country club where I worked as a dishwasher explained that he couldn't have anyone who was attracting such attention to the restaurant at the country club um, in employment, and so I was being let go. Not really a big deal. I kind of hated that job anyway. Would not be the last time I saw that officer who had pointed a gun in my face. As it turns out, about a month later, I saw him at a school function where he was serving as security. He came up to me and he uh, kept saying things like, hey, Jew, instead of, hey, you. Pointed out that he knew me, knew what I was all about and that I better watch out. Now, is this story true or not?
Okay, so fast forward a bunch of more years. I'm a full adult now. I was working in TV at this point, and I was hired to do a what they call infotainment, in quotation marks, documentary for British TV. It's for a network called Sky. It was supposed to be revealing the real, the real life dark underbelly of people who actually live in Las Vegas, not uh, people who could go to visit Las Vegas, but people who actually live there. And it was partially truthful, partially imagined. There's actually a lot of a lot of stories I could tell from this one, but just because I just had a gun pointed at my head, possibly, if you believe it, in the previous story. Anyway, um, this this particular special, I was asked to put together a bunch of segments, sort of a top ten list of the sleaziest things that people who actually live in Las Vegas do. So I had things like the power tool, power sex tool factory, where I got say hey could you put the drill dough back in there again we need to get a close-up and there was like a, a group sex segment there was naked machine gun shooting pretty highbrow stuff well anyway one of the segments we did was a visit to the chicken ranch for those of you who don't know actually just outside of las vegas prostitution is legal although it's not hard to find prostitution within las vegas either if you were looking for it but it is fully legal just outside of Las Vegas. I believe the town name is Pahrump, where there's a number of brothels, one of which is the famous Chicken Ranch, which was one of the first, if not the first, legal brothel in, in Nevada. I could be wrong on that, but anyway, um, the rest of the story I'm pretty sure about because I was there. The idea was we were gonna follow a transaction from a client, a customer coming in, ordering what he wanted from the menu of items through the act itself and then getting post-act post reviews. All was going according to plan. We got the uh, person who was willing to be on camera, a very nice man from a local biker gang. He was very excited about it. He brought his girlfriend along. It was his birthday, so celebration all around. He was slightly inebriated or on something when he arrived, and uh, we got through um, first part. For those who have never been to a brothel, what they do generally, I'm assuming based on my experience at this one, is they bring out a number of women. You're allowed to talk to them, look at them, decide which one you would like to quote unquote rent. Anyway, he came to a decision. Nice young lady who's a former legal secretary. Anyway, all was going going according to plan. We had agreed to pay for what they call a half and half, which is well, I don't know. You can you can use Google, so you can figure it out. But anyway, um, right before he was supposed to go into the room, he pulled me in, in aside, pulled out a gun, put it at my chest, and said. Half and half isn't enough. I'm going to need a few more things. I need to include my girlfriend in this. You need to take care of this. So, obviously, a tense moment. I explained to him that we only had the budget to pay for a half and half. And so, I'm sorry. That's what he was going to get. There was nothing I could do about it. If he was going to have to shoot me, he was going to have to shoot me. And so, he looked at me, stared into my eyes... 
I was very nervous. He looked at me. He started to chuckle. His finger was rubbing on the barrel of the gun. I could feel a bead of sweat on my forehead. I held my breath and then looked him straight in the eye, waiting, wondering for what would happen next. And then he said, Bang, bang. Bang, bang. And he laughed some more and said, all right, we're good. Um, he apologized actually for his behavior. He just said that he got excited. Anyway, he wound up going through with the half and half. Had a good time, I guess. And or this is what he said in the interview. Um, the woman that he had chosen had nice things to say about him. And that was that. So that was an interesting day during that really strange job that I had. But anyway, um, you don't believe me? You're wrong. Okay, so that's it. You just got through episode nine, three stories. Do you know which one is completely fabricated? Or maybe they're all true. I will reveal the truth at some point, I'm sure, just not right now. Go ahead and send me a message with your thoughts. You can find me on social media or you can send me an email at reduxrudy at gmail.com. You see that in the show notes as well. Or maybe you have a story you'd like to share. You feel shy about reading it. I can read it for you. Expected to get the special musical treatment like you just heard in this episode. Just trying to make things a little bit more interesting for people exploring the podcast world. Anyway, until next time. Thanks for listening. New episodes of the R3 podcast most Sundays. See the episode description for notes and where to find more online.